Hi, welcome to the Landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us. Maybe the best way to describe our guest today on the landscape is new challenge, no problem. Diana Donalds earned a degree in mechanical engineering at Case Western Reserve University. Then the Detroit native moved on to Silicon Valley. Eventually, she learned a law degree where she practiced in Texas, then came back to Cleveland, where she served as the director of the city's Department of Building and Housing from 2017 to 2021, and most recently served as the chief of commercial services and governmental affairs for the Department of Airport System. And now the next challenge is the new vice president and Ohio market leader for Enterprise Community Partners. Ayanna, thanks for joining us today. Your resume is getting longer and longer. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, I think I want to, I, I will stop it here. I'll pause it here, the resume, for for some years, for sure. Let's talk about enterprise. It's this national nonprofit. It plays a major role in building affordable housing across the states, but not everybody's familiar with the work that they do. Can you talk about what they do and, and what your position is going to be? Absolutely. Um, you know, enterprise organization, it really has... Um, just a niche and in its name, Enterprise Community Partners really does describe a lot of what we do. We have three divisions that are broken up. Solutions is one, capital, community development. So I'll talk about the other two and then I'll go back to the one I'm working with and kind of what I aim to do, you know, as taking the helm of the market. So capital, we really look to aggregate and invest capital in homes and communities you know, across the country. That includes things like tax credits, um, equity and asset management and debt, et cetera. So the kind of like nuts and bolts of um, affordable housing and that capital side. Then we have community development, where we actually act as a nonprofit developer, building, preserving and managing thousands of homes, but mainly in the mid-Atlantic market. And then more specifically as a solutions group. So that's where I come in and the staff that um, work for me here in the Cleveland office. We're the solutions division and we deal with programs, policy and capacity building, supporting our CDC. So, you know, all of the common organizations that you would commonly think of, such as Famico, Symmetra West and Tremont and Burton Bell Carr and et cetera, um, and providing funding help with programs, technical assistance, but really, you know, really trying to advance that affordable housing and then also advancing housing policy at all levels of government, so state, local, et cetera. So what really, what do I aim to do in my job here? So as vice president, I manage all of my staff. We have a team of about nine here in the office and we have our hands in quite a bit of programs from um, Justice Involved Housing, which hopefully I'll get to talk a little bit about, Cuyahoga County um, Earned Income Tax Credit Program, the Lead Safe Coalition, et cetera. So we've acted as conveners in that role. I'm really looking forward to see, you know, what happens in um, our city's next administration. County administration will be changing as well. Enterprise has always been known locally, nationally. It's kind of like that convener, that trusted source of who people can rely on and really give a not weighted, non-political opinion about what really needs to be done in the affordable housing kind of world. The notion of the sort of an aggregator, because there are so many different factions who who work in the in the public housing market, is probably a great thing because otherwise we'd be kind of scattered. And it does, it could get kind of scattered. And actually, you know, the benefit of I'm, I've been here for a couple of weeks, and really, it's interesting when you see an organization from the outside versus the inside, and really being inside, you really see how many things come together. So, for instance, if I have a meeting with a CDC and um, we just discuss maybe some issues and capacity building that they have. 
Well, we have a, a, a fund for that. We have a program for that, Equitable Path Forward, where we're helping BIPOC-led CDCs really get um, you know capital back into their organization, lines of credit, um, technical assistance with things maybe they don't know how to do. Perhaps I have a meeting with a developer and they're you know have questions. They're interested in light tech or new market tax credits. Well, I forward them over to our capital division, and then they can work with them on that. We really have a good. Um, you know, breadth of products and breadth of reach and breadth of what we can do that makes us really like a full service nonprofit in this sector. And I, I really appreciate um, the magnitude of the organization. Prior to your new role, you were the director of Cleveland's building and housing department. What was your big accomplishment there? What was the thing you were proud of? Oh, wow. You know, really so many things. I really enjoyed my time there. And it was, you know, kind of bittersweet leaving um, because I have just such an affinity for that department. Um, but probably my biggest accomplishments, I'll probably break it out into three, right? One is definitely people. I think that um, people oriented, and that means the staff there. Like I really, and maybe because it, it, it adds that I started from the bottom of that organization. I came into um, the city of Cleveland and the Department of Building and Housing actually as a temporary legal secretary. So I've worked my way through the department and really understood what it meant to be an employee there and what our employees kind of needed to um, thrive, right? Really understood where they were coming from. And I think during that time, that four years, I really prided myself on equitable hiring and promotion. Over half the staff that are currently there, either I hired or I promoted. And, you know, mainly because I believe in people. I believe in giving people a, a shot. Mayor Jackson gave me a shot as well by putting me as director of building and housing. And I felt just that um, need to make sure that we were hiring correctly and appropriately and promoting appropriately. Um, next other top two things as well that, you know, from the policy side of things is the passing of the lead certification law and beginning implementation of that. It was really a big lift. There were so many different um, viewpoints to that. Uh, but I think that really having um, my voice there as director of building and housing and administration's um, voice at the table, it was really a big accomplishment. If you look at what we did and how many years that really everybody, the city, nonprofits, philanthropic partners have been working on something like this. And last but not least, it, it, people affectionately call me the demolition queen for one reason or another, <laughs> because, you know, I, I did also work in the demolition department for years in the Department of Building and Housing, but really having the opportunity to implement a new demolition program that was Safe Routes to School, uh, where we really focused on safe walking routes to public schools um, in the city and making sure that the vacant, abandoned nuisance structures that were along those routes were demolished. So we raised, I don't know how many off the top of my head now, um, but thousands of properties. Of course, others out the route, but being the mother of two children, and I think that is really important, right, to really try to keep our community safe um, for whatever aspect I can. And as director of building and housing, that was one way. You played a critical role in the Lead Safe Cleveland Coalition. This is a public-private partnership, some 400 members to address lead poisoning. Why is lead poisoning to continue to be a problem? It's just a, a, the fact that there's still a lot of old pre housing that predates regulation? Well, it's, it's probably not, not even just the fact that there are a lot of housing that predates regulations, because quite frankly, there is. At 10 years from now, as we're 10 years fast forwarded down the implementation of this law, there's still going to be an old housing stock. But what it really is, is I think people don't understand. I think not just 
um, you know, anybody, landlords, homeowners, tenants, um, children even, whoever comes in contact with lead paint really doesn't understand the risk. And how much have we talked about it? And I think one reason why probably we don't as a community understand the risk so much is because it's it's like a silent effector in the sense of um, if you go to touch a burning stove, well, the immediate consequence is that you're going to burn your hand. If you're lead poisoned, you may not know the immediate consequence. You may not know it for your entire lifetime. You you may just think, oh, I have a child that can't sit still and can't pay attention or have behavioral issues or et cetera. And you may not ever equate it to lead poisoning, but that is the root of the problem. Um, is that I think it's, I think that's just my, just my opinion, right. Of why maybe it doesn't get as much attention in our community, um, or people kind of brush it off because they don't make a direct correlation between the outcome or the, um, brain development of a child that, you know, has not been fully developed and you don't equate it back to lead poisoning. And I was going to ask about the, about the issue of landlords. I, I Honestly, I'm not sure how this quite works. If you're a landlord, do you have to register with a city to say, I'm going to start renting things? And then, uh, you know, the process begins that people might look at things like lead issues or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. If you are a landlord in the city of Cleveland, it, there is an ordinance that's been in place long before the lead ordinance, long before I became director of building and housing, et cetera, that you have to register your property to say, hey, look, city of Cleveland, I'm a landlord and I want to register my property. I'm renting out two units. Um, you know, please keep me on the rental registry. Once you become on the rental registry, then you are subject to um, periodic inspections. So what that really means is the Department of Building and Housing will ask you, can we come do an inspection? It is not mandatory. Um, It's permissory in the sense a landlord can say yes or no or a tenant and we move on. Now, as far as the lead law, anybody that has a rental property, same as the rental registration, you're supposed to comply with the lead law. It is factored out. Not every zip code right now is mandated, meaning it takes two years for every property to be covered. So a certain set of zip codes were back in March. The next quarter, there's another set of zip codes, et cetera, et cetera, for the next two years. Um, So short answer is essentially every rental property, yes, has to be registered on the rental registry. And for the lead safe certification law, every property that's pre-1978 has to comply with the lead certification law. You mentioned screen of demolition, but in terms of abandoned or vacant properties, not only is an issue of space not being used, but what other problems do abandoned buildings cause a neighborhood? There are so many. You know, it first of all, there are some that are very tangible and some that are not really tangible at all. I mean, the tangibility is just keeping up with a vacant abandoned property, meaning having to board it, the safety issues, um, the issues sometimes neighbors can't get property insurance on their property that's adjacent to a vacant property because insurance company, you know, considers it too high of a risk. I've had to deal with that before and it's very disconcerting where someone's really trying to do the right thing with their property and they can't. You have just the untangible things. Just, I would try to impress when I was director of building and housing, the seriousness of this to my inspection team and my staff is if someone's calling in and complaining about a vacant property next door to them, they're living with that property day in and day out. Mentally, really, how does that affect you? Where you have to worry if a vacant property is going to catch on fire next to you. You're going to have to worry if there are squatters in the property next to you. I mean, it's just a level of stress that you shouldn't have to deal with when you're at home. So I tell people that 
you know, my past previous employees that you have to take this into consideration. Imagine if you were living next to this, that's a sense of urgency that you need to have when you're dealing with whatever issues that people are calling you about the citizens of our community, because they're living with this day in, day out. You get to go home to your home and not deal with the vacant property next door to you where they are living with that stress. I think sometimes so often we drive through neighborhoods and see those abandoned buildings and you say, well, why didn't somebody knock that down? But that's, it's a little more complicated than that. It It is. It's way more complicated than that because the common misconception is that, um, you know, that the city of Cleveland owns that property, but actually they don't. John Smith, Susie Q, whoever owns that property. So there is a vetted legal process that you have to go through before you show up in someone's yard with the bulldozer and say, I'm going to tear your house down. So there's a certain level of due process that has to happen, which sometimes takes for a long time. Ayanna Donald joins us. She is the new vice president, Ohio market leader for Enterprise Community Partners. She joins us today for the Landscape of Queens Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. I'm sure the pandemic has certainly exacerbated certain problems when it comes to housing inequities. How have we seen some of that and what kind of solutions might help the problem? You know, I, I really want to go back to the very beginning of the pandemic, right? Um, or maybe that first eh, two months where as soon as it was evident that people could not work in the same fashion that we used to work, that um, meaning people couldn't make a living like they used to, um, there was an immediate line drawn to me um, between the haves and have nots in the sense of who could make their rent, who could continue to put food on their table, who could just live, right? Basic living needs. And all of those things, I think a spotlight was just really shown on those things um, in the very beginning of our, of our pandemic. And what solutions? I mean, some of the solutions were really, you think, quick and fast, but some of them really continue. It just shines a light. And I'm glad that people are now paying attention to it. You think about just the inequities of um, the landlord-tenant relationship, of how landlords, you know, in the sense of can it can evict the tenant. So so happy to um, be a part of just the push to have right to counsel for tenants that are facing eviction. And so although there was a moratorium on evictions during the pandemic and that has been lifted, but that still really shows just that 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 inequity there of how important it is for a tenant that's being evicted to be um, represented. So that to continue, right? Um, that's one solution that we do see. I increasing the housing supply. So although the pandemic did not directly say, okay, well, now there are, I guess, maybe more worse properties in our pipeline or in our system as far as rental properties, et cetera. But I think the pandemic has really shown or caused some sort of weariness amongst people in general. So if you think about, you know, the weariness of tenants or landlords to say, okay, am I going to fix that? Am I going to do that? I mean, people are really watching their money. So making sure that we have adequate housing supply, that the supply that people are actually have right now is up to code, up to a, a healthy housing standard, it's just fair and equitable, right? Also during the pandemic, racial inequities, I think were really magnified, which you think about all the um, social unrest that we had, et cetera. So people are really trying to take a look at what can I do? 
What can my company do? What can my organization do? Um, what can I as a city do or as an administration or policymaker? So when you think about some solutions on that front, as mentioned uh, at Enterprise, we started an equitable path forward. So I'm really excited to be working with um, a couple of local CDCs, one in Akron, et cetera, to help advance racial equity. They're all BIPOC-led organizations, figure out how we can get lines of credits into them so they don't have to be so stretched um, in their budget and capital, but they want to do big developments. Why should they be prevented from doing such and how can we help? Um, and, and last but not least is building resilience and upward mobility. When you think about the one program that I would really like to advocate and going to take this opportunity to is the Cuyahoga County um, Earned Income Tax Credit Program that we have, that coalition. It provides free tax preparation for people in Cuyahoga County. We're looking for volunteers right now. This is our volunteer ramp up. <laughs> so, you know, it's really good when, when you think about, you know, you think some people may think, well, how important is that to get a, a free tax income return prepared? It's very important because people rely on their tax returns. People rely on just that little infusion in, in cash and money to help stabilize them from whatever issue they're, they're going to from the next to the next to the next. You mentioned the justice involved homes program. I wanted to talk a little bit about that, if you could explain it to us, because it sounds like a, a great way to help people. It it absolutely is. And we're just so, so thrilled that Cleveland is one. And the Justice Involved Homes Program is a national program. Cleveland is one of the local markets that's kind of spearheading this effort, um, along with another market, just to advance policy on this, to figure out what are the right needs. It's formerly incarcerated people. You know, of course, they have incredible challenges from discrimination as they search to find a new home when they return home or to find a job. Sometimes people can't go back to where they were five years ago before they were incarcerated, or sometimes that just not is the best thing for them to return to that situation. So we have received funding from Cuyahoga County Office of Reentry to lead a collaborative multi-year think tank essentially around the housing plan and actually pilot that. So we're in the housing plan part of it in the sense of um, we will be working with a consultant to develop that housing plan and get it out next year and hope to move forward with the pilot after that. When Cranes profiled you earlier this year as one of the 15 women of note, the people we talked to often mentioned how open you are to collaboration. Why is that just such an important part of your leadership style? Well, I just really think that we have such great resources just in this world, not just in this Cleveland community, although Cleveland, we are exceptional here. <laughs> but I think that no one person really can do it alone. Not one entity can do it alone. Maybe you can, but it doesn't make for something that's really sustainable. For instance, the lead, the lead save coalition. Could the city had um, implemented the lead law on its own? Very well, they could have. But quite frankly, you know, it's been tried over years and years and years that one entity has tried to tackle a problem, but it's not sustainable. One entity generally doesn't have all the expertise, all the different skill sets all of the re resources, all of the lived experiences. If you just ask me about how to make a one of my favorite things, I don't know, a German chocolate cake, I'm going to give you my way of doing it. You may have a totally different way that de definitely may be better. Another person may have a different way that maybe is less in calories or whatever. But when you put all those together, you're going to come up with a great mix, a great solution to really tackle a problem. And that's why I, I think collaboration is key. So what are you excited about for 2022 for Enterprise and your new role? 
you know, really a lot of things. As you mentioned, I, I had a brief stint at the airport, which was really a good time um, in the sense of learning something new. I never knew how airport functions. You know how, how often we fly through one or walk through one? It's so much magic that happens there. Trust me. But really, I'm, I'm really excited to be back into the housing world. I'm really excited personally where I feel like I'm marrying a little bit more my personal zest and zeal and what really matters to me as a person and work, right? You know, that old, that, that old saying about making um, work not be work. And so I, I feel like I'm, I'm finally at a, at a point where this is a good mixture of, of course, it's work. It's not all fun and games, but I do feel like the work that I'm doing just it advances um, affordable housing just in a different way than I did at building and housing. Now, as far as the projects that I'm really looking forward to, quite frankly, I'm looking forward to um, collaborating with a new administration and the county administration when they come on board. I'm looking forward to having some really tough policy conversations. We have, you know, tax abatement will be up or up for renewal reconsideration next year. So looking forward to having conversations about that and, and lending to our experience that is enterprises experience. For ARPA funding, it's a lot of discussion around that. A lot of people um, want a piece of that funding. But I think that really being strategic about the way that we use um, that funding is very important. I think it will be very transformative to Cleveland and our Cleveland community and Cuyahoga County, you know, as well, of course, because the county has ARPA funding as well that it has the budget. I'm looking forward to... Um, also, our justice involved housing, getting a little bit more deeper into that and just developing to see where it takes us. I think it's a, a part of our our crusade against homelessness that a lot of people don't focus on. And I'm really excited to be a part of that as well. Ayanna Donald, thanks so much for joining us today. Good luck with your new position at Enterprise. We're glad you could join us today. Thank you so much for having me. Anna Donald is the new vice president and Ohio market leader for Enterprise Community Partners. She joined us today for the Landscape of Crane's Cleveland podcast. On behalf of our producer, Cody Smith, I'm Dan Paletta. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk again soon.